talk about uh, Julian's actually going to talk about his experience with Avina again, the tournament in Milan that happened a couple weeks ago. We're also going to touch on uh, Bazaar of Moxen, as well as the upcoming Eternal Weekend, which will include the Vintage and Legacy Champs. Yeah, so um, first of all, I think not every one of our listeners actually knows what Ovino Gaden is. Uh, this year, Ovino Gaden already had his ninth installment, and it's the second largest privately organized Eternal Weekend in all of Europe, after Bazaar of Moxen. This year it attracted about 470-480 people just for the Legacy Main Event, which is pretty big, but obviously not as close to, to Grand Prix or Bazaar of Moxen, but yeah. Uh, it's situated in Milan and is, is notorious for being delayed. Like, every time I went to Vino Gedon, when they told you the tournament starts at 9am, you knew, okay, you don't have to show up until 10 or even half past 10 because it's never going to start at 9am. So this year, they actually went ahead and they said, okay, the main event is going to start at 11am because everybody knew it would never start before that. Uh, so it started at like 6pm the next day, right? 6pm uh, the same day was when the third round finished. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Uh, see, I was going to make a joke about making the trains run on time, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, but that's what we don't get them for you. It's the European lifestyle. Was there Let's a say it's the Italian lifestyle. Like, in between, they're like, okay, guys, go get lunch, take a nap. We'll come so, back for round three at 5 p.m. Um, I think there were several issues. The first one was they didn't expect as many people. Like, it grew over the years, and when I was there last time, it was already pretty crowded. But this time, it was just too crowded. It took so much time to just get people seated and pairings on, whatever. So there was a lot of time lost in between rounds. And, I don't know, maybe they didn't like input the, the results right away, but I think that's not the important part. The important part, because I talked to the organizer later, Stinfo, and he's a really nice guy, and I think he really wants to have this tournament happen and not be delayed like like forever. But he told me, so because they had buys at the tournament, like one or two round buys, he contacted Wizards, and Wizards told him, okay, in order to get the, the advanced DCI reporter that can handle buys, you have to <coughs> meet some criteria. Like, you have to uh, promote this tournament, like, so and so many weeks in advance, and whatever. He met all of these criteria, and he called Wizards, and the guy, uh, Wizards guy responsible for Italy just told him, meh. <laughs> so, he was like, so how am I supposed to, to, to handle the buys? And he was like, okay, you just, you're just going to use an Excel list. And he was like, no, I can't do that. So in the end, that was his, his only option. And because they had several trials in all of Europe, there were some, some things that didn't really work out. So after the first round and after the second round, people showed up and were like, hey, man, what the fuck? I had a buy. I had two buys. Why am I not in the pairings? So after the third round, it's... It caused a huge problem, and there were a lot of people that had one buy that were just upgraded to two buys because they were forgotten in the earlier process. So after the third round, everything was so fucked up, they actually had to stop, cancel, and recreate the entire tournament in the DCI reporter, manually repair everybody against the guy he had played before, and input the result. So oh if you see, God. so he had like. I don't know about you. I think I would have left. Yeah, I, mean, I a lot just of people want to actually stop recording left. right now. This this explanation is making me want to vomit. I mean, this is insane. <laughs> like, I can't imagine being there. Yeah, you had like 230 tables, and <laughs> you had to repair everybody for three rounds and input the results. So, <laughs> it's it's 
yeah, we had an actual like two, two and a half hour delay and nobody really knew what was going on. So when there was like a half hour delay, you were like, yeah, okay, that's Italy, no problem. Like after a one hour delay, you felt fucked because why didn't I go to grab some pizza? So at some point they, they announced that there was a huge problem and we should just wait some more. I even took a picture on my phone. It was like close to 6 p.m. and the fourth round had not started. And this tournament was supposed to be 10 rounds with top eight. So oh, like in the end it would be God. would be That's 13 awful. rounds. Yeah, so what they did, because that was not going to happen, they cut the tournament to nine rounds and instead used top 16. What? So <laughs> I mean, you can do that, but it's still fucked up because your turn your prizes some somehow don't match then because I went seven and two and I didn't get a prize, even though seven and two or eight and two should definitely have gotten a prize. But my tiebreakers were not good enough. I mean for me, okay, at least the tournament got to got to finish somehow. But we had the same kind of problem the day before because they had a, a big trial and we played I think seven rounds and the Swiss finished at like one AM and they wanted people to play for the second buy, uh, which the finalists was, would have gotten until like three in the morning and everybody was like, No, I'm I'm not gonna stay until three in the morning. So they offered a split. And <coughs> everybody who actually wanted the buy would stay, but everybody just left. And the split was also pretty bad. Like, everybody got 80 euros, but the the entrance fee was 20 euros, and there were 90 people. So you had, like, um, I'm stupid, 1,800 euros. And the top eight, everybody got 80 euros. So if you multiply that by eight, you, you arrive at 640 euros with a cash pool of 1,800. So even though I know that you have some money you you're gonna use for logistics and, and whatever, euro down seems pretty yeah. Awful. If you're every time you're giving out less than fifty percent, there's not even you can't even discuss it. it. It's just fucked up. And I told Stinfo, and she told me that that the stream was so expensive, like one hundred euros for the stream, and whatever. But the stream that that gets divided by all the tournaments. It's not the big legacy trial that has to fuel the stream. <laughs> so, yeah, well, let's but put it this way: the only time that you can say that you have less than fifty percent payout, because I understand like the cost of things are expensive. Like the only time that I would see that that is acceptable as you're playing for a tournament when you know that the say the surroundings, like you're paying in, like playing in like a black tie legacy tournament or a black tie vintage tournament, where you're paying for like catering or alcohol or whatever, and you know that the prize is just posterity. Like that's okay. Or or a PTQ where you're winning a flight to Hawaii and a couple <laughs> days of free hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the biggest problem was that he didn't expect 90 people show up on Friday. Or was it even Thursday? I don't even remember. <coughs> and he didn't, like, because there were so many people and everything was getting out of hands, he didn't really have the time or the willingness to adjust the prices. Also, he gave out polluted deltas that he probably bought before um, they were announced as being in kinds of track here. So the price took a dump and took a dive and, and it, it just didn't match. Like, every from the very beginning, there were problems, and even though I really have to say everybody involved with, with Ovino Gaddon was very helpful, and the judges were highly competent, but overall, it just didn't really work. So, coming back to the Legacy main event, um, because there's just too much small stuff to talk about, like, for example, they had to, they had to add tables on the outside, so if you lost the first or second round, you probably would have to play on the outside, and when you were playing on the outside, you didn't even know when the round was starting, when time was announced. Like, I was watching this Miracle's Mirror, and I was highly fascinated by it. 
And at the very end, somebody comes around and is like, hey, guys, why didn't you give me your, your uh, results slip? And he was like, hey, come on, we just finished. And he gives us a look and it's like, you just finished? Time was announced like 25 minutes ago. <laughs> and they were like, time? <laughs> yeah, I, I really think that there's sometime soon, because you, we've started hearing so many stories of bad TOs, sometime soon there's going to start being rules in the tournament rules that are just going to be like, you have to have your event be indoors. You have to have at least a foot and a half of space for each person because of stuff like this where it's like, oh, too many people showed up, so we just play outside and we're not going to send any judges out there. Um, like, just, that's, it's ridiculous. Um, before you go into the rest of the problems, though, I'll ask you, uh, for you, about how much does it cost just to go to this event and uh, would you go again for that cost? First of all, I would always go again because it's like one of those big big legacy or eternal happenings in Europe. It's like the second biggest, as I mentioned, after Bazaar of Moxen. And I meet, get to meet all my friends from all of Europe. And yeah, so I would go again, even though the, the organization has been bad, but I knew it would be bad. Like, it's always bad when you go to Winogadon, but that's kind of part of it. It just used to... It, it was just really bad this year. And I hope it's going to be better next year. I'm going to talk to them, maybe get a new a new venue or something. Uh, Money-wise, I think... What did I pay? I think I paid 40 euros for the card ride. And then like 20 euros. Yeah, 20, 25 euros per night. So overall I paid like 150, 160 to, with, for the ride and uh, accommodation. Okay, I guess that's not that bad. I'm just thinking like... To be going out of town for a tournament like that, I guess you're with it being one of the only big Eternal events, they kind of have an audience that has to go. Kind of like, I mean, I imagine if Eternal Weekend could be a lot worse and you'd still get a lot of people just because it's Eternal Weekend. Yeah, exactly. So for the for the Legacy main event, they actually did the cut to the top 16 and they played the round of 16 and then it was like, I think, 1 in the morning, half past 1, I don't know, like close to 2 in the morning. And the tour tournament organizer wanted people to keep playing. Like, play the round of eight, play the round of four, play the round of, like, the finals. And everybody was like, no, man, we are not gonna play. So, <coughs> what they did is, once again, they agreed on a split. Which was, I think the split for the top eight was pretty fair, from what I've heard. Like, everybody was happy about it. I think some, something including 700 euros or, or something like that. I don't know. Um... And what they did, because they still needed an official winner, is they told everybody, okay, if you still want to play for the top eight, you just show up tomorrow at, I don't know, eight, uh, ten in the morning, and you're just going to play the top eight. So only four people showed up. <laughs> 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 because they were like, screw this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the end, it's still, it's still... I don't know if there's a trophy. Oh, yeah, you get a trophy. Like, you get a silver magic card. It's it's completely silver. I think it's not actual silver, but it looks silver and it's pretty heavy. Silver is uh, not that expensive, so... Yeah. Okay. So, I think it's still too expensive, given how how, how heavy this card actually is. And I think that's pretty cool, because they give a, a one out for the Legacy winner, for the Vintage winner, and for the Modern winner. And they used to give one out for the best uh, Eternal player. Like, combined legacy and vintage results, you would get the best eternal plague, uh, not plague, uh, plague. <laughs> and they didn't do it this year, but that's one of the things that Ovino usually does. So, yeah, in the end, um, my friends Thomas and Angelo, well, they didn't split the final, Angelo won against Thomas, but what they were playing was the exact same 75. 
it's the exact same 75 that Philip Schöniger has been putting forward over the last couple of months and that <coughs> pretty much everyone in our, in our circle of friends is using right now. What's so interesting to me about this is that Philip, before the tournament, like two days before the tournament, Philip actually called this exact finals. Philip told us when we were leaving, hey guys, have fun, good luck at, at uh, Omino, but I think you will have to settle for third and fourth place because Angelo and Thomas will split the finals with my list. And we are talking about a like 470 people tournament and that's exactly what happened. And it's not like Philip says this at every tournament. He just said it once and it actually happened and that's really amazing to me. Yeah, but like if it never did happen, you wouldn't worry about it and you'd brush it off. So it's I mean, I think he just tuned the list and he's he's got to read that Miracles is very good. And I mean, there's some data put up even just this morning on the source where um Miracles uh, is still the best list. <laughs> I, I yeah, saw it, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you can see that I mean, if you just look at the graphs, I mean, um Miracles has leaps and bounds more finishes than the next best deck. Yeah. Like, what is it? Actually, let me look at the data here. October 2014. Elves. It was Elves, the second best deck. 301 finishes versus 263 for Elves, and then the next highest is 149 for Team America. Yeah. That graph drops off, like, exponentially. Like, that's uh, that's some decay there. I'm currently working on an article about Mercus. Like, not the deck itself, but its positioning in the meta. And... I also checked Magic Online for that. That's why I've got the numbers ready. Uh, of all the decks finishing in the money in daily events on Magic Online that go 4-0 or 3-1, Miracles shares about 15% of all those decks. And the second highest finisher is blue Red Delver and Blue-Green Infect. And both of those are at like 5-6%. And Miracles is at a fucking 15%. That's impressive. Uh, I find the... Uh, the constantly doing well of miracles online to be really interesting just because with the chess clock it's so much harder to finish on time with that deck compared to in real life where you can have 90 percent of the round be one players i agree yeah. i mean even yesterday i hosted the vancouver legacy classic and the top eight was miracles esper miracles painter um something else miracle like it was a lot of miracles and who came out on top miracles with dig through time because dig through time is fucking busted Continue. Yeah. <coughs> uh, speaking about the dominance of Miracles, I, I don't want to like get too deep into that because I think we've beaten t that to the death already. Um, there was a big tournament in Spain, the the Acanius 20k. And looking at the top 10, actually, there's also five Miracles. <laughs> it's five Miracles, Elves, Stretch, Blade Control, it says, um, Death in Texas, and a super interesting Elves... Fairies hybrid that we should talk about later, but uh, I want to share some cool stories from Movido Gano because the tournament was not—it's not just all bad. It was actually pretty cool to get to meet all your friends and play in a in a very big tournament again. So um, let me start with the misplays because there were some very interesting misplays and people not being aware of, of the rules. Um, I've got them written down here. Ah, okay. So okay, I think this is pretty basic. Uh, for everyone playing Vintage, when there's a Chixley Trailer in play, and you Snapcaster one of your instant sorceries, if you Snapcaster it after the Chixley Trailer has entered the battlefield, you still get to flashback it. My opponents right. didn't believe me, the the judge didn't believe me, but the head judge ruled in my favor, so yeah. So if you didn't know that, now you know it. Is that just timestamping slash most recent? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 If, if you Snapcaster Mage, and then we are, I don't know, Etherwile or something, uh, Chixley Trailer enters play, you can't do it, but yeah. 
Um, then Chain of Vapor. Uh, this is also relevant for Legacy. It happened in Vintage, but doesn't matter. My opponent casts Chain of Vapor, targeting his Black Lotus. And we both agree that Chain of Vapor resolves now. Okay. So, during the resolution, he puts the Lotus to his hand. And then he wants to copy it, which is fine. But before copying it, he wants to tap the Underground Sea for mana. And that's too late. Like, you can't pay mana or even add it to your pool when the re resolution of a spell is not asking you for it. Like, you can add mana for transmute artifact or mana leak or whatever because the spell is actually asking you to pay mana. But Chain of Vapor never asks you to pay mana, so you can't tap the underground. See, I mean, this is very, very, like, I don't know how to call it. <laughs> it's but very minor. Yeah, it's very minor, but, but yeah, I think he didn't even know about it, so this was not... I think I've never had as many judge calls as at this event, but they were all ruled in my favor, so... I guess I'm fine with that. Uh, what else is there? Like, these were not really misplaced. These were rules issues. Um, oh, yeah. So, in the very first round of the main event, I played the Elf's Mirror. And at some point, my opponent took a lot of time. Like, really a lot of time. And to me, I feel like slow play is kind of the big elephant in the room that nobody really talks about, but it's so abundant and people should really be aware of it and do something against it. So, what I did was to actually watch the clock because I, I, I noted when I passed the turn, he spent like one minute thinking about his play, doing nothing. He drew the card, and then he sat there for one minute. After one minute, I told him, okay, you have to make a play now. And he's like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to make a play soon. Yeah, okay. That was nice of you after a minute to say something yeah. that wasn't the word judge. Yeah, like after one minute and 30, I called a judge, and I told the judge that my opponent has been thinking about for his play for one minute and 30. So the judge tells him something in Italian, and the other guy's like, yeah, okay. And of course the judge couldn't stay, because the tournament was way too big. And the guy actually makes a play, and it's the wrong play. Like, he was playing elves as well, and I, I could see how, how he could kill me, but he didn't do that. Instead, he just attacked for, like, 13, and I was like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, had he thought about it for some more, he would have figured it out. But he oh, didn't. Well, we only needed, like, three, four minutes to figure it out. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like you're... Um, what you do, it it's also time-dependent. If you have to take five minutes to this, the same kind of thing that somebody else does in, like, half a minute, you are worse. And that's not meant as an insult, because there are dif different tiers of players. You are not there yet. You need you lack the experience, and that's okay. But the guy, he was pretty pissed about it. And he, he while sideboarding, he kept telling me, that was not slow play. I do not slow play. I, I think he wasn't, he wasn't aware between the difference. Uh, he wasn't aware of the difference between slow play... And, and stalling. I mean, he obviously wasn't stalling. This was the first game in Elf's Mirror, and there was even... Why would you stall there? But There's a lot going on, yeah. is really what it is. And just yeah. sometimes you have to think. But with the tournament rules for slow play, you don't get that option of taking five minutes to try and combo to try and think about your combo. Yeah. And that's just the way the rules are. And I think part of the reason that it's the elephant in the room and doesn't get called that much is because in order to not be huge dicks to people, the rules are very wishy-washy. If the rules just said you cannot spend more than X seconds between the resolution of, of spells, it would be really clear. People would call it all the time. But that's kind of a dick move to people, and I think that's why slow play doesn't get called as much as it could, is because the rules have to be wishy-washy. Yeah, because also, also can't really enforce it. It, it. You know, certain decks just ha have more complex plays, and you can be doing things and advancing your board state, and that's not slow play. If you are advancing the state of things, and you are, you know, but your turn may take a while, but you may be doing things to move forward, so it starts to get, it starts to get almost impossible to come up with a completely objective way to measure it. 
you know, just based on the some of the decks and some of the lines of play you might take. You might be proceeding, casting spells at a good pace, but your turn might take, you know, 12 minutes, right? That's not slow play. <clears throat> yeah. Right. I think nobody can really tell you what's an appropriate amount, like what's an okay amount to take, but everybody can tell you what's not okay. And like one minute of doing nothing is not okay. And one minute 30 of doing nothing is definitely not okay. Like, I think everybody should just go ahead and call a judge for slow play, or, or maybe not even call the judge right away, but tell your opponent right away. What, like what I do, I don't just tell them, okay, play faster. I tell them, okay, if you don't make a play, I will have to call a judge soon. Like, be very precise about what you're going to do if they don't make a play. Otherwise, it, it feels like harassment. But I think everybody should just make an effort. And when you're playing at a tournament that has one of these clocks, watch it. And once a certain amount of time has passed, just tell your opponent that you will be calling a judge soon. And it, I think people are also enforcing it more. Like, I've, seen, I've seen it on Star City Games. The guy that was disqualified in the top eight while doing a Liliana split. And I haven't watched the VOD. I don't know how long he took. Nine but seconds. Ni I think 90 seconds is too long. Like, and it, it, it feels okay, even though I'm sorry for the guy, to give him... It was actually just a warning. It wasn't even a game loss, but it got upgraded into a warning because he had too many of those slow play warnings. And I think that's okay. I'm sorry for the guy, but it should be a reminder to all of us, not just our opponents, but our like ourselves, to play in a reasonable pace. And if you're going to call a judge on me, I'm fine. If I'm playing too slow, I'm sorry. I mean, it happens. It's nothing personal. It can happen to anybody, but don't feel bad when your opponent is calling you out on it. But a little thing I've seen a couple people do is if you're going to have something that's going to take a while, it's just like calling a judge on yourself. You're like, hey, judge, I'm going to take like two minutes to cast a spell, but it's going to be doomsday. <laughs> so if you, if I get a judge calling me for slow play, this is why. Yeah. <laughs> I had but this even then, if you... at the last Star City, and it was, it was around top activations. And I was playing against sort of a novice uh, explorer uh, Nick Fit player. And I thought about calling a judge. His top activations were, you know, 20, 15, 20 seconds, end of turn, his turn. He couldn't remember what he had on top. <laughs> um, I, you know, at some point I probably should have called a judge because I'm playing Enchantress, which can't kill very quickly either. And in the end, it ended up biting me. We drew the game and, and I, you know, I had him, you know, pretty much dead to rights. But had I, had I kept a closer eye on it, I may have been able to pull that game out, you know. And that's one of those that's got to be very, uh, very frustrating to go, you know, I could have won if I would have been fiercely enforcing the rules. Hey, so one, one interesting thing also is uh, cons was legal for this event, right? And I noticed there yep. was a total dearth of cons cards in the Miracle decks. What did you, what did you think about that? Well, um, for Miracles, the only option would be to play uh, Dig Through Time or Treasure Cruise, but both are fall into the same category as the other Miracles cards. Like, they're highly situational, and they don't do anything on the very first turns. So, what are you going to cut if you want to incorporate those? Are you going to cut Chase? Probably not, because Chase is still better. Are you going to cut Miracles? Uh, that's... No. I have like, a friend who played uh, Treasure Cruise, and it wasn't Miracles, but it was a blue-white control. It was a Stoneblade shell. And uh, he was telling me after we played that his real problem he was having with it is the best graveyard hate. If you're playing a graveyard deck, you're going to bring in Rest in Pieces, and you're going to play Rest in Peace in a blue-white control deck. Well, if you bring in Rest in Peace, you basically have to bring out Treasure Cruise, and that affects your game plan a lot to take out four draw threes. Yeah, and I think that was that's, what he didn't like about that's it. That's another reason. Yeah. 
but I think overall it's just really that you're overloading the deck on situational cards and there's unfortunately just no space left. Even though I would love to play any of those two cards in Miracles, I, I feel like there's nothing you can do. Like you won't cut Ponder if you're playing Ponder. You're, you can't cut any of the core cards because actually there's very little cards in Miracles that actually do something. There's lots of li cantrips and library manipulation and... and Cards that draw you into more good cards, and or but there's little stuff that actually does something. And the stuff that does something is Intrigue the Angels, Chase, and Terminus. Even Counterbalance does not do anything on its own. So it's it's just a deck that can't really handle. What's the other guy on tilt, which is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean the. Uh, I mean, but that's not a win condition. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can also argue that, like, if you're playing four ponders, you could probably go down to two to three ponders and still play a dig through time or two. I mean, a friend, not a friend, I mean, an American player came up from, well, America, and uh, <laughs> played Miracles with, I think, two dig through times in the main, and ended up cutting, I think, shaved down to three plowshares and uh, three ponders or two ponders. And that card in any sort of uh, mirror match was just insane. Yeah, in the mirror match, okay. <laughs> I mean, he won a lot of other matches, too, and, uh, I mean, this is just one sample size, but I think it's worth trying. He said it was really good, and he enjoyed it in his testing, so... Yeah, but now you ended up in a position where you actually cut business. If you cut sorts of plowshares, that's one of your very best business cards. And I know that some people like to cut down to even just two, and I think those people are insane. But the more you cut the actual business cards, the worse the deck gets, and actually the more prone to variance it becomes. Because you might draw all these awesome draw more cards, but you're not going to draw the Terminus or the Critical Swords to Plowshares for the Infect Elf attacking you. And yeah, that's that's my problem with, with those cards and Miracles, but I think there are people more qualified to talk about that, and they will probably do soon, even before um, Grand Prix New Jersey. So let's look forward to that. Uh um, I was in the middle of, of talking about some awesome misplays. So in the fifth, in the seventh round, I was four and two with elves. I was playing against Canadian Threshold, and this is the sequence of plays. My opponent goes first. Land Delva go. I play Land Quarian Ranger go. During his upkeep, he plays Brainstorm. He thinks about it, puts two cards back, draws a card, plays a land, and attacks me. <laughs> 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 and he's like, oh. <laughs> Oops. So I didn't block because I really needed the Korean Ranger and I didn't mind um, him having the Delva. So on the next turn, the Delva didn't flip as well because he put only a single instant sorcery on top and not a second one. So it didn't flip again. And then it couldn't attack because I had a Deathrite Shaman. And in the end, I won the game on like four or five lives. So it would definitely it would have made a difference. <laughs> and it was just, I don't know. It felt pretty good seeing his face once he made the attack and realized, oh shit, I played Brainstorm in my upkeep to not do anything. And for me, it was crazy as well, because when the Delva didn't flip after he played Brainstorm, I was like, okay, what can I... No, no. Now I know he doesn't have any instant or sorceries in his hand, and so I was yeah. like, oh my god, so what does he have? Okay, he's probably got Wasteland. Okay, so he's probably got Goyf, and uh, this, 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 and this. He and then I was like, you. By, playing, <laughs> by, by playing out Fugitive Wizard, he, he, he next leveled you. Yeah, so I won the match, and it was not even close, because I think he wasn't very familiar with what he was doing, not yet, at least. So for the last two rounds, I'm playing against... Um, let's put it that way. I play, f I play first, I play a land, 
he plays a snow-covered mountain. I look at him and I say, no. And he's like, yes. <laughs> so what is he playing? Scred? Snow-covered mountain. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not next-leveling you. He's just running a snow-covered mountain. <laughs> yeah, he was G- playing Burn. Gifts, on, that's... gifts on Given so he could get a mountain and a snow-covered mountain. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty awesome. Now he was playing Burn. And every time I see snow-covered mountain, I feel Burn. And that's why I said, no. And, and he really picked it up and he just looked me in the eyes and he was like, yes. <laughs> Lava spike. <laughs> um, I still won because apparently he was just playing grizzly bears in his deck. And by grizzly bear, I mean an Eidolon that never triggers when you play stuff. Ah, yes. So I was pretty dead on board, but I just comboed through Eidolon because YOLO. And it actually worked because he never he called a single... He just never said anything? He's ju- you're just like... He, he called Ranger. a trick. Once I had found the, the abrupt decay and I abrupt decayed the Eidolon just to be safe, he called the trigger. But for everything before that, he didn't call the trigger. So how did you go about it? Did you just like query Ranger and you look at him and he just says nothing? No, you, like, don't, look, you don't look at him. Because if you look at him, he feels like he should respond there's anything you have to you have to play in a way that's like very very it's very clear that this spell will resolve you know you just put it on the table and say the Aquarian Ranger draw a card and he's like okay and then you wait a second or two and then you play oh, your the next confidence. Confidence yeah you, you have to put out the confidence and your confidence just a, caused uh, him to forget I tried to find a red red 2-2 two, two with no text and there actually isn't any so I don't have a good joke about what to call that idol on <laughs> Uh, but I call it a grizzly bear, but the <laughs> mana cost is much easier on grizzly yeah, exactly. bear. It's a red grizzly bear. A <laughs> uh, goblin bear, a gob bear, a gob bear. I mean, even em- I even ember hauler would be pretty good in the in the elves matchup. At least you could sack it and kill an elf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I won this. I was six and two, and the last round was coming up. And I thought at seven and two I would definitely get prizes, and most people in seven two actually got prizes, <clears throat> but. Turns out that half of my opponents didn't know what Kratov with did or why I would symbiote, so I'm not surprised to have bad tiebreakers. And while well, I didn't finish in the money, even though I won the last round, and for the last round, I'm playing against land, goblin guide, attack, and I'm like, no, not burn again, it actually is burn. But uh, fortunately for me, he also doesn't really like Eidolon. So I play Elfish Visionary, I say draw, he says, yes, I draw a card. Then he's like, oh, and you take two of Eidolon. I'm, no. <laughs> uh, like, I think m- both my opponents were just in this, in this, in this... They were operating in this mode of, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, no, wait, I have to play too. And I think you can really mislead your opponent in, in a way that when you're playing very confident that they will miss the Eidolon trigger. It's like, I would definitely not draw the card until he gives me the okay. But once he gives me the okay to draw the card of the Elfish Visionary, it's definitely too late for him to draw to actually remember the trigger. And he calls a judge, and the judge rules in my favor. He appeals the head judge rules in my favor. And to me, uh, these people, they were always like very grumpy about it, and they felt bad. But what I always tell them... Play your deck, man. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's I want a requirement to, f- to play at a competitive also, level. Also, you're, you you're playing play your burn. Deck. I mean... How can you expect anybody to have any sympathy for you when you're encroaching on our gentlemanly game of magic by casting Lava Spike? <laughs> <No>? <laughs> well, I couldn't tell him, uh, tell that to him. Maybe I could have, but uh, what I, I just told him is, I think, like, I, I, I tried to set this as friendly as I could. I believe the better player should win, and the better player is the player 
who does less mistakes. And right. you just did a mistake. You just made a mistake. And uh, yeah, I think there's but nothing... The thing is he shouldn't yeah. feel bad about it. He should use it as a learning experience, right? Like, he'll probably never forget that Eidolon is a trigger now. Yeah, exactly. And that's great. And you know what? There are some times when it's like, you need to lightning bolt that 2-3 Tarmogoyf with no instance in the graveyard to learn about exactly. state-based effects. I won a Grand Prix trial on the back of that, and now everybody at my store remembers their Stoneforge Mystic tri- or their Batter Skull triggers. <laughs> Which was a total take move for me, but I wanted those buys. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that at Grand Prix Paris. Some guys were playing for day two, like both were six and two. And the other guy, end of turn, activates Stonefetch Mystic, puts Better Skull into play, untaps, draws a card, plays a land, and moves to attack. And the other guy is like, attack with what? With my Better Skull. But he didn't put a token into play. And that's like, ah, it, it feels so bad because. Uh, of course he wanted to put the token into play, but he didn't, like, he didn't See, even announce at, it. At least that's the nice way to do it. The nice way to do it is go, attack with what? The mean way to do it is call a judge and go, uh, judge, my opponent has attempted to declare an illegal attacker. <laughs> <laughs> can't attack. Yeah, take a DRV on top of your missed trigger, you clown. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there so, are times, though, when you shortcut and you're like, okay, I'm gonna untap as I pull my token out of my box to slap yeah, that's on the fine. table. Like, you just that's... say something. You can't. You can't just have triggers happen without any. Of course. Of, of course. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, there's one more interesting. Well, it's not really very interesting. So after the legacy main event, I played in an eight man, and in the first round, I'm playing against Ethnocium Tendris. Uh, I believe he wins the first game. I win the second game. And oh yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> in the third game, he goes first. He plays a land and lotus petal, and I was like, oh fuck, I'm dead. But turns out he just plays that confident, and I'm still in the game. But in the end, he still probably gets me, because he starts chain. I'm very low because of, of Bob, I'm like at 12 life or something. And he starts chaining rituals and rituals and LEDs, and he's like at Storm 10. And then he starts chaining Infernal Shooters. And even though the first Infernal Shooter could just find Tendrils and kills me, he goes for Infernal, 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 for Tendrils. And then I'm like, how much mana do you have left in your pool? Oh... Three mana. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so he lost everything he had and had just a single tenderness in hand that he couldn't cast. And so he just scooped them up. He could have still played because my bot presence was very, very bad. But he felt so embarrassed that he just decided, okay, you move on. Nope, I've, I've scooped <laughs> games like that. Yeah. I can I very, scooped very a game yesterday where I, uh, I went Grafdigger's Cage, Resolves. Stabcaster Mage targeting my Ancestral Recall. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, Resolves. <laughs> Uh, so one last thing bef- before we move on um, in Vintage and I'm really not a Vintage guy I just played because I can't borrow the cards and I think I'm not the worst Vintage player um, I was playing against this guy and he was playing Stacks I went oh he went first he played something I don't know I went first I played first turn Dark Confident and then he's like okay Dark Confident that's a pretty cool card let me Phyrexia Metamorph that card and I'm like, okay, I don't know, don't you play very, like in my head, don't you play very expensive cards? So, okay, go ahead, maybe it's good to just copy it once. So he copies it, I do something, I actually don't do nothing on my turn because he plays some spheres or whatever. And then on his turn, he plays another Phyrexian Metamorph, because what's better than one Dark Confident, two Dark Confident. So <laughs> he's a stacks player that has two Dark Confidants in play, has used his Ancient Tomb like two or three times already, and paid mana for the first Phyrexian Metamorph. So all I just do over the entire next three turns is just sit there, draw my card, play a land, and say go, 
and he just awfully dies to his own dark confidence because here he is staff of Nim, uh, Karn Silver Golem, another Phyrexian Metamorph, and he used his his uh, pain lens all the time, so he just dies. Now I maybe this guy was just really old school because I'm sure uh, Sean can attest there used to be Bob stacks decks that used to be a thing. Yeah, there were decks that had all kinds of. It was like five color stacks, and they didn't give a damn. They would actually just play smoke stacks and welders and dark confidence. I played five color. Five color stacks was my first uh, eternal deck, and I didn't play black red stacks because I didn't want to pay fifteen dollars for dark confidence. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's my last fun story from Ovino. Uh, I think another fun story is beating miracles with two dried arbors. After he dropped Blood Moon and pretty much locked both of us out, so I just attacked for two, attacked for two, attacked for two, <laughs> and it got there. So I Beaten guess that's not some nice protect. Yeah, death Ma by mountain, death by, by mountain dryad. And there was not a cough of the hammer involved. <laughs> death, death by mountain dryad. Mm, that's that's miserable. Um, Green I, mountain dryad. I wasn't able to find the results from the Ovino Geddon Sunday Vintage anywhere on the internet. So they're not on any of the deck sites. The Ovino Geddon yeah. site doesn't have them. So and they weren't on the Managerian. So yeah, that's because they didn't post them. Uh, my friend Ant Anton Kolinsky actually won. He was playing uh, what he calls Der Burg and not Die Burg, which would be the correct German way to put it because he's not playing a regular Burg list. And he won the finals against Tesserator. And if you want to watch the finals, and you should definitely do because they were awesome, you can go to my webpage, it's julian.com. And I think that's the only place where you can actually watch the VODs of those finals because I recorded them on my, on my phone. Uh, the quality isn't the best, but you should definitely and at least watch the third game because the third game was insane i kept track and the other guy the tesserator guy had drawn seven or eight extra cuts by by the fourth turn and anton had hadn't done anything he, he literally had not done anything until then and he still won the game the other guy even had the win in hand he had the game winning tinker for voltaic key in hand and he could definitely tell that he was afraid to do it into open mana so instead he played chase and it resolved because anton had nothing and then anton entapped into like t five more mana chase uh, time Vault in play and like seven cards in hand and he still won and if you want to know how he won you should go to itstudian.com and watch the VODs oh really that you're gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> most of all because let, let me guess do you got AdWords set up on that website no 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 no, no. I don't <laughs> actually there was not one big play that Anton did it's just the next four or five turns everything came down exactly the way it needed for him to come down and that's why I, ca I can't, like, spoil something huge that happened. But it really went down the exact same way that only meant that he could win. And that was pretty awesome. Because now he won the finals and he got the silver bomb and he paid for the ride. So I was very happy for him because he played really well. No, that's cool. I, uh, it's Tesserator is definitely in my gauntlet and so is... Uh, so you said he was playing Bug? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he was a Burg, like black, blue, red, green. Um, yeah. So one more thing, and then I'm gonna finish about Ovino because it <laughs> uh, the vintage event wasn't as delayed as as the other events, mainly because vintage only had eight rounds and then top eight. And after the semi-finals, which happened at like around midnight, the head judge was a pretty cool guy. He just kept sitting there drinking his beer, eating his ramen noodle soup. And after the semi-finals, he was like, "Guys, 
I'm out of here. You finished this. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, he, he really wanted to go home. So er the only person uh, with some church authority left was a pretty, let's say, beautiful Italian girl in a cut-down church uh, uniform. And uh, I don't know if she was actually a judge because she just watched and whenever something happened, me and my friends pointed it out, like when some infraction happened. And she never gave out warnings or whatever. Like in the semifinals and the finals, people played additional lands and she didn't realize. So yeah, we pointed it out and people took it back, but she did, didn't issue warnings. And I think that's not right, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've watched a few, few Italian streams where Sphere of Resistance and other mandatory things were quite optional, and like nobody ever pointed them out. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's more laid back over there, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was pretty uh, pretty late in the night, and I, uh, I believe uh, both were honest mistakes. But I feel like once somebody points it out, at least issue a warning, just because that's the right thing to do. So yeah. <laughs> Okay, guys, um, I think I'm going to leave for now because, first of all, I don't have a lot to add for Vintage. So I guess I'm just going to say goodbye to everyone and have fun with the other guys and see you next time. So I think one thing that will be really, really interesting with uh, this year's Eternal Weekend is between the Vintage Super League and Magic Online, uh, there's been a lot more maybe progress with Vintage in the last few months than there has been probably in quite some time. Uh, would you agree, Sean? Yeah, I think a couple of things. You, you just get more results. Um, you you still have the sanctioned versus non-sanctioned problem, but I think you know Magic Online maybe just suffers a little bit from what it's it's really now Wasteland that's that's the that's hamstringing deck construction. Um, How much is Wasteland now? Wasteland's about 120. It, well, it's not just Wasteland. It's uh, some of the things that make the online metagame so interesting. Is like Wasteland is really expensive. As an example, uh, Tangle Wire was broken for a while, so you couldn't play a Tangle Wire based stack deck. So as a result, the metagame kind of changes independently, and you start seeing some decks that maybe w would never have existed in paper, which I think is really interesting. You might see some of them in paper this yeah, uh, yeah. this coming weekend. And but one of sorry on the on the flip side. It seems to me that a lot of the kind of people who are going to fly to Philadelphia to play $10,000 decks are not going to be super swayed by, you know, what Randy is playing on Correct. the Magic stream on Tuesday. They're yeah. going to play what they want to play. Yeah, and the other thing about the Finnish Super League, which it's been great, it's awesome, and I thank them for the free entertainment on my Wednesday and Thursday nights, uh, or as I sit on the freaking exercise bike or something miserable, um, is it's a little bit inbred. Um, so I think, you know, the people who are just going to look at the lists and copy them probably don't understand that, or they may not understand that going into a given set of three matches, you know who you're going to play against. So, you know, doing something like running four main deck pyroblasts, um, and almost no dredge hate is, is fine there because you know, you're going to play against three guys who absolutely are never going to play dredge and are almost 80% to be on a blue deck, um, so yeah, Menindian's yeah. second deck was really indicative of that. He played like twelve artifact hate cards and zero graveyard hate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you can try to do that at Eternal Weekend. I mean, you can stand there with a shot glass and say, "I hope I don't play Dredge tomorrow." Gulp. 
And I mean, I I would say that anyway because I don't <laughs> like playing dredge. Right, but I mean, you're just you're essentially just saying before the tournament begins, I'm placing a wager. I'm placing a wager that I'm not going to see dredge in. Let's just say it's I think last year was eight rounds. I'm not going to see dredge in eight to nine rounds and have this you know super tweaked sideboard. Let's say against other blue decks, but. Um, you know, you will be out of the tournament if you play against Dredge once or twice. So, um, it's, I think it's fine to make those kind of gambles, but you should definitely just ahead of time write it down and see if you ended up being correct, you know? Um, so, because, anyway. So, we want to, like, run, run through some decks, or... Yeah, yeah, I, uh, we've been doing some testing, so I proxied up, uh, a, you know, a whole gauntlet of decks, probably gotten through 30 or 40 matches, um, give or take, uh, between various combinations, and and my gauntlet for at least keep in mind this is sanctioned vintage. Um, my gauntlet for this is Merfolk um, for a number of reasons. I think it's a it's a good deck. A it's a budget friendly deck. B it doesn't suffer too much if you're on the non power train. Uh, my second deck was blue red Delver and um, splashing for green. So no Tarmogoyf Delver, similar to some of the vintage Super League decks you've seen that have like four Young Money. Um, four Delvers. It's bolts. usually green for like two Trigon Predator, uh, flashing back Ancient Grudge, and maybe one Nature's Claim. Exactly, yeah. So that style of Delver running Treasure Cruise. Um, bug, and um, when I say bug, I mean bug with like a creature base of Clicks, Confidant, Deathrite Shaman, Trigon Predator. No, no Goyf Bug, basically. Um, with Null Rod, Abrupt Decay, the usual, and then a mix of like eight to nine other counter spells Sabotage, Pierce. Fluster Storm, Misstep, etc. Uh, dredge is in our gauntlet, um, and this is non-dread return dredge. Um, I don't myself and the person who's taking all my dredge cards to Philadelphia, who's who's goldfished and played you know 150 matches now at this point. You know we're fully convinced that dredge with spells is awful. So just quad laser dredge with four leyline main, four unmask, four Icarids, um, no bullshit and. I think going that route really ensures that you're going to win the first game because the deck mulligans way better, um, and it's just the game plan is so much more streamlined for game one, which is the game you should absolutely be winning like a hundred percent of the time. Because most decks are going to be bringing in minimum four, probably closer to seven pieces of graveyard hate. Yeah, exactly, and and the dread return version just it gets worse hands. It has dead cards like middle mess step. Um, really, there's no reason that we could come up with to run that version if you're running the the quad laser version with four ley line, four unmasked main. And I think black ley line now has, has probably got more utility in non-dredge matchups than it ever has. Um, and we're finding that out. Like, it's great against shops with Crucible, who could normally lock you out of the game with a sphere and one wasteland and a Crucible. Um, it's great against the Treasure Cruise decks, uh, which runs Snapcaster. you also have... So- one, one little side effect is people are starting to actually play removal now, so if you're dread returning something and it's just getting swords, that's pretty awful for you. Yeah. And yeah. then you talk about, like we've mentioned a couple times, we think Bug is one of the better decks in the format. If you put a fatty in the yard and you're like, dread return, and they just, like, oh, actually, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and remove that for the cost of one green, that's also pretty rough on your deck. It is, and our, our Bug deck is running a main deck scavenging use too because that card's gotten really, really, really awesome. good. Because it's awesome, yeah. Um, so that's our dredge gauntlet. You know, we're not, we're not even bothering with spells because they suck. Um, Tezzerator and just blue, black, big Tez. Tezzerator is another deck in our gauntlet. I think there's something to be said for just going way over the top of these little pyromancer derp decks that want to attack, um, and just trying to win the game as quickly as, as possible with vault key. I think in the vintage super league, 
uh, instead of going Big Tez or Turbo Tez, a couple people chose to play Steel City Vault, which is the end game is the same. It's just trying to assemble Vault Key as quickly as it's, possible. It's more like a combo deck than a uh, than a control deck. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, and we also wanted a deck. We wanted a Mana Drain deck in our Gauntlet just to see how Mana Drain works against the new eight casting cost spells. Um, and so anyway, there's that. Uh, shops and the shop deck that I've been playing is um, is a control shop deck with twelve spheres, thirteen spheres, and uh, I'm playing Coercive Portal, and I'm playing Karn, and I'm playing Metamorphs. I'm not playing Tangle Wire, and I'm not playing Null Rods main. And the reason I'm not playing Null Rods main is because I'm walking into a sanctioned vintage tournament where there's going to be a lot of decks that are playing Null Rods, Merfolk, Bug. Um, Blue Red Delver doesn't... There's going to be people prepared for Null Rod, and there's going to be people unaffected by Null Rod. Exactly, yeah. So that Blue Red Delver deck just might as well play Null Rod. Um, And Landstill, there's some other decks that really just don't care. If you want a strong example of that, there are a couple people talking about, like, oh, I don't think you need Black Lotus in this deck for, like, two or three decks. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that that's a conversation ever is kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah, no, it's true. And, um... The Terra Nova deck that Chris Pecula played actually is skewed Black Lotus, which I don't necessarily think is right, but you can at least come up with two or three bullet points to justify it. Um, you know, first of all, he was playing Null Rod, but the four percent that you're going to draw it in your opening hand, you know, maybe isn't worth drawing it later. Is I guess his, um, you know, his feeling towards it. So, anyway, my shop deck is is that I'm playing Karn, I'm playing Chorus of Portal. The, the the card is pretty crazy in testing. It's um, it's fine in your opener, it's fine on the third turn, it doesn't affect the board, I get that, but you could probably say that about, you know, another 15 cards in shops. What I'm finding is that Chorus of Portal, um, just is, is a nail, A, in, in games that have sort of reached equilibrium, it almost always wins, um, and then in B, in games where you have a decided advantage, it's almost impossible to lose when you've got Howling Mine in your shop deck, because you take it... You take the one thing that can cause a shop deck to lose, which is awful top decks, out of the equation. You're just howling mining yourself. And it also, it's also worth noting that it's good with Karn. You, if you land Karn, you have a bunch of um, Nettletooth gins. So um, that's what I've been, that's the shop's uh, deck we have in our gauntlet. And then finally, you know, it's it's um, it's not sanctioned – or sorry, it's sanctioned vintage. So we decided to put like a junk hate, hate deck um, in our gauntlet just to see how it plays out. And it's actually been pretty decent. Um, so that, that kind of is our gauntlet. Um, I'm not playing Grixis Control. I don't really have any of the Grixis lists. I might take, I think LSV has a, a Grixis list that's, uh, he's running this week in the, in the Vintage Super League. And, uh, it's actually running the new Dig Through Time card. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's maybe something that people will copy. I'm not sure. Um, I guess it's, it's not even... Grixis is in a weird place right now, so I think that there probably will be a fair amount of people who are just going, I, I want to play Grixis Control, I don't know what to play, and they will copy that or another deck list. It's tough to even call it a control deck. He, he only has, like, three win conditions, so normally I, I associate decks with three to four win conditions. I guess he has a Jace with control, but it's, you know, it's also a cantrippy heavy deck that's relying on filling its graveyard. He's got four Gush, three Dig, four Probe, uh, and really, his only win conditions are three young money, and I guess a Jace or Dak stealing something, I suppose. Um, so it's tough to even call it control. It's it's also kind of cantrippy and comboy, but um, with only three creatures, I, I find it tough to call it aggro control. Anyway, so there's that, and then maybe we we might throw like a, a Grixis Slaver style deck um, into the fray as well. But I mean, we're not even like you know old style Gush Storm. Um, not even in our gauntlet. 
Um, Blue-White, the, the Restoration Angel deck, I'm not particularly high on that deck. I think I would just as soon play Rest in Peace Control like I played at Gen Con 2013, then play that deck at this point. Um, so that's kind of our gauntlet, and that's what that's what we're going to try to figure out. So I've got a matrix of those decks, and we've been sort of banging, banging those decks off of each other. And Maybe in the show notes I can post some of our results, but um, uh, that, that's what I'm looking at. I, I don't know how that contrasts with what you're seeing online. Uh, like I said, the online game kind of it, it's become kind of independent of the regular metagame, and I'll say the one thing that seems really, really, really uh, present is probably thirty plus percent of my matchups are against Young Pyromancer decks, which uh, Young Pyromancer is like my favorite card ever printed, which makes the matchup really weird because most decks you just like throw in Pyroclasm and you're good to go, but when you're playing dudes with one butts, you have to start looking for weirder stuff like Electricery, Caltrops. Caltrops. Well, you can't play Caltrops because then it hits your own dudes. Well, I'm not playing that goddamn deck. I'm playing Shops. <laughs> I'm just, it's, the mirror match is a very interesting matchup because uh, a lot of times, like, if they land a young Pyromancer and get a couple spells played, it's kind of the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been seeing. And it's, uh, in watching the Vintage Super League decks, just sort of watching the, uh, the card just take games over. Um, you know, even as you draw bullshit and dead cards and cantrips, you're still winning the game. Uh, is pretty insane. Yep. Um, the other stuff, like, uh, I, there's just not that much shops online, which I think is partly a result of uh, previous bugs with shops. I guess maybe it's a little more expensive. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I actually don't know if I've played against shops online at all to have any experience with it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're finding in our gauntlet is that shops is, as usual, really, really good. Um, other things that are pretty obvious, being on the play, you know, probably puts you up another good twenty, twenty-five percent. I would say one thing we're doing, we are finding, is that uh, the Bug Shop matchup is pretty miserable. Bug at this point is just so, I think it's just overwhelmingly a favorite, barring a really broken on-the-play Shop's draw. um, Well, it's really interesting because the the Bug deck is kind of, it's very, Threat Light isn't accurate, but it's it's very answer-dense. Yeah. Yeah. While still being able to, like, oh, you didn't do anything this turn, I'm going to drain you for two. Well, there are, there are two or three cards that on the draw are really miserable to try to deal with from the, from the shop's perspective. The first is Deathrite Shaman. I mean, it's, it's really, really tough to deal with it, especially on the draw for a shop deck. Um, you're also now, I think, in a metagame where the default play of on-the-play Chalice Zero after maybe laying out some number of mocks in uh, isn't really maybe the default play anymore. Like Definitely not as good as Chalice 1 most of the time. No, and it wasn't always like that. I mean, you had these big blue control decks where, you know, they're either their one their one casting cost spells didn't bother you that much, like Mental Misstep, who cares? Um, and then their top deck tutors, you know, are few and far between. But now you've got Bolt, you've got all these cantrips, you have Deathrite Shaman, which is nigh unbeatable, um... You've got other cards like Spell Pierce. You've got Steel Sabotage. So Flusterstorm. Flusterstorm, which doesn't do anything against my shop deck, so I don't care. But yeah, the true. the um, anyway, that decision now has gotten a lot more complicated, especially in the blind. So I've been trying to play by sandbagging a Chalice. You know, I'm just playing. I'm playing that a little bit differently than I I probably would have two or three years ago. But I still think after sideboarding, the bug deck has like 20 cards that say blow up an artifact, and it's just. It's almost unwinnable, I think. I mean, it's probably down in the 30% range. And um, so figuring out a way to hedge the sideboard against Bug is what we're trying to do now. And it's it's tough when you want to commit, let's say, eight dredge cards to your sideboard. So either A, 
take a gamble that you won't play against Dredge with your shop deck and really hedge it against, um, you know, Bug and Young Money or... Yeah, that's that's essentially where we're at right now, or where I'm at anyway with shops. So, yeah, it seems there's there's nothing that really blanks their whole, that you can do to really be strong against their whole deck. Like you do incidental graveyard hate helps against Deathrite Shaman, but it doesn't help against you know turn two uh, Trigon Predator, especially no. in a shop deck. Yeah, it doesn't. And it, cards like Metamorph are good, but you, still being on the draw against a Deathrite and not having a Revoker is miserable. Even if you have the Revoker, they have Abrupt Decay and. It just feels like you're losing ground every time they remove one of your artifacts. And you can Crucible lock them, but again, it's really hard when they have Deathrite in play. So, um, you know, and I'm running Dismembers main and, and things like that, uh, It's and it's still a tough matchup. So, you know, I'm not sure what, what we're going to come up with as far as the sideboard goes, but uh, right now that's a really bad matchup. Merfolk's about even. Uh, after sideboarding, I'm finding that, you know, I've got eight dedicated sideboard cards against Dredge, and it's I'm looking at my major. I'd imagine sergeant. the lack of islands helps a lot for you. Yeah, lack of islands helps. Um, just plain old sphere helps a lot. You know, when you're only running Thorn in, like, let's say a Metalworker build, you're a lot more vulnerable to the Null Rod, A, and then B, they just ignore it and play a bunch of true names and just crush you. Um, so having actual sphere helps. Um and being somewhat resilient to Null Rod also helps. I mean, I'm not playing Null Rods in my shop deck, but I'm not playing Forge Master or Metalworker either. So Null Rod's probably a push. Maybe shut off some of my Moxin and Karn can't, you know, joyride you. But other than that, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I'm probably 60-40 against the Young Money decks, just because still shops and spheres can just overwhelm such a crappy mana base. I've lost a few games where they get a hot draw with, like, their Sapphire, and maybe Dak Faden starts you know, stealing stuff. I've lost those games, but overall, it I seems had a to problem. me if you can yep. afford it, a tabernacle is really good against the young pyromancer decks just because they tend to run on very little mana. Yeah. Their mana base is super light. Tabernacle shuts them down. And from what I've seen online, they're not playing wasteland. Some of them are on the gentleman's strip mine, but they can't actually waste you out. Um, so yeah, tabernacle is big in that, in that match. From my experience, part of the reason they're not playing wasteland is not just the fact that it's very uh, expensive. But with only one land drop a turn and most of them aren't playing Gush, yeah. I would much rather have a Volcanic than I would have a, you not have a Volcanic. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I can't necessarily waste lock them, but if I just hit one or two Volcanics um, and then I've got, yeah, like you said, if you have a Tabernacle out, that, that whole plan gets really difficult. Young, young Pyromancer becomes miserable. And then... Um, uh, played a bunch of matches of, of the green, white, black hate deck against shops. And as you can imagine, that deck just cleans shops up pretty, pretty much constantly. It's also, it's also decent. Uh, let's see, we got, we had six in favor of junk versus four for the young pyromancer deck. Um, just having a ton of removal, like four abrupt decays and two or three sorts to plowshares was pretty tough for the blue, red Delver deck to deal with because, they just don't actually have that many creatures. You know, it's only like a suite They're of about... They're usually playing 10? Yeah, 8 to 10. Like, like so 4 Delvers, 4 Pyromancers, 2 Trigons usually? Or some Snapcasters. You know, we had we had a list that had a couple of Snapcasters, even with Treasure Crews. Um, so anyway, yeah, that, that match was actually somewhat favorable. It just suffered against sort of the broken blue decks. Um, and I had a little trouble with the true name Nemesis. But um, So that's, that's our gauntlet. I... I I think the I think the influence of, of Magic Online will be interesting to see, um, but to your point, it, it does come down to the real cards that you own, A, and then, like you said, some people have pet decks, you get a lot of that, and then um, just being sanctioned, as I've said in weeks past, I think is going to heavily influence the metagame. There are people who will pay the money to play in this tournament just to play in this tournament because it's a blast 
we'll just put Merfolk together and um, pay their, just to be able to go, just to be able to go and play on Saturday. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. So, or to play on Sunday, excuse me. So, yeah. So, uh, what's your guess then for for uh, top top say two or three decks? Yeah, I think I think shops. I think non metal worker shops, and I my reasons I've stated before. I, I feel like the decks more vulnerable to metal rot, uh, the, more vulnerable to null rod, more vulnerable to abrupt decay. Um, so I'm staying away from metal worker. Uh, I know that it's explosive, but I don't think it's in a good place right now. Uh, so I think a more mid range mana denial shop version with lots of spheres, uh, lots of wasteland effects, um, and then possibly spoiler card like like a course of portal. Um, I think is, is a good bet. I think Bug is a good bet. Uh, I think it plays sort of in the middle of everything, has no completely awful matchups, can handle Vault Key, can handle the other creature decks, can handle Shops with a good sideboard, can handle Dredge. So I think a tuned Bug list with like Scavenging Ooze maybe, Eskewing Tarmogoyf is a... Another one little thing about Bug is uh, not very many decks in Legacy, aside from Shops, really punish bad mana bases, and Bug does that very hard. Yeah, bug. Between wastelands, sometimes a crucible, um, being able to no rod is pretty painful. Yeah, and we've actually looked at a few lists that actually run an island and run a forest, or run an island and a swamp. So I think there's room in a bug list for actually playing a couple of basics and really, you know, really solidifying your mana base and then attacking there. So I think bugs in a pretty good place, um, and it's a deck that rewards tight play, um, and it's. Yeah, like I said, I don't think it's got a terrible matchup against anything. Um, there's, And I think Dredge is still a deck to beat. I mean, just playing it, you know, I think one thing people do is they don't spend a lot of time running a bunch of decks uh, up against Dredge because no one wants to play against it. It's not fun. It's miserable. No, one wants to play, no one wants to spend their time playtesting as it either. So I think most people just pack yeah. a bunch of hate and say this will be enough. Exactly, yeah. And what we're finding is, you know, there, there are games you draw two or three pieces of hate and you still you still just lose. So... Um, well, I, I know. I the first time I played Dredge in a real tournament, it was like I sideboard something out and I asked the guy. There was like, "What do you think about signing this stuff out?" And he was like, "That's awful because this and this and this is how this works." I was like, "Oh, I just put in graveyard hate and hope hope to ride it to victory." Yeah, I think the one thing keeping Dredge from being a real predator a is the gentleman's agreement not to play it. B, as you pointed out, people don't tend to want to play with it and practice because a they can't find anybody to play against, or it's just not that fun. But when you've got somebody who makes zero mistakes in a game of Vintage Dredge and draws their Bazaar, misses no triggers, you know, misses no opportunity to squeeze a zombie, um, it's it's a beast. So I, I would put Dredge up there. Um, and Don't I, hurt your city in a bottle. Well, you know, even that now isn't as bone-crushing as it used to be because you're not getting their city of brass anymore. Oh, that's know? true, because they're going to be playing Confluences. Correct, yeah. I'll post Maybe. my I'll post my dress check in the pimp thread, but it saddened me to remove the uh, to remove the signed city of Arabian City of Brasses from it. But I, I had, bet there will still be it. people playing Arabian Night City of Brasses just to, just to not have to play any bordered card. Yeah, I mean, you could go that direction, but I think that's what the old school tournament on Friday is for. <laughs> um I don't know. You're you're definitely kicking yourself in the nuts if you're playing City of Brass now with Tangle Wire, uh, maybe a gentleman's Richard and Port and City of Bottle running around. There's almost no excuse to play it anymore unless you plan on lightning bolting somebody with the City Trigger on a stack and winning a game. And if you do, you should probably get some kind of achievement unlocked, uh, old school achievement unlocked, and you should get a prize. Um, so, uh, yeah. So th- those are the decks I think have a shot. And I, I I think Oath maybe isn't in such a great place anymore. I think there's just a lot of abrupt decay. Um, maybe Oath. There's a lot of Graft Diggers Cage as well. Yeah, a lot of Cage. 
you know, maybe it I has... Went, I went to go order some more of those, and I couldn't believe how expensive that card has gotten. Like, it's not expensive, but I couldn't believe it was more than 50 cents. Yeah. Um, everybody needs to own four. I haven't I haven't put Oath in my gauntlet. Um, I, I think it's a flaky deck sometimes. You know, it, it looks like such a beast when it gets Orchard Mox Oath, um, which you're on about uh, anywhere between five and four and five percent of the time uh so it's just a tough deck to gauntlet with because when it gets those beastie draws everyone thinks it's a world beater uh i just think over an eight or nine round tournament maybe it won't be as consistent as it needs to be i mean it's powerful don't get me wrong but um i wouldn't i don't I know that i would play I haven't had much problems yeah. with it just because you know four force of will two plus spell pierce uh usually a few graftigers cage on the side nature's claim main Usually what ends up happening for me is if they've resolved an Oath of Druids, they're already at like six life. Uh-huh. Most of the time it's the, when they resolve an Oath of Druids, it's like the eighth one. Or I'm sorry, it's like the third or fourth one they've cast. Right. I don't know how they cast eight. Yeah, I mean, maybe they regrow it a few times, uh, et cetera. But yeah, I agree with you. It's um, it's just a tough deck right now to, to try to... And then its mana base also sucks. Um, it suffers against Null Rod. It runs the full mox and sometimes Crypt and everything. Mana base is terrible. Uh, it seems there's also a lot of it's not sure what it wants to do. Like, people are playing Storm variants with it. Then people are doing the two Grizzle Brand just like Storm, but not playing Storm. So yeah. they just have two Grizzle Brand to draw a lot of cards with. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's fantastic. But a 7-7 seven, seven Flying Lifelink with no protection isn't that great. Right. And right. you're going to take 7 every time you draw. And you've got a ton of one of, so you're probably going to want to draw a lot. Yeah, the the and it's sort of taking a step back. The only um, you know we don't have a lot of results, and I guess Alvino Geddon hasn't posted the results, but we don't have a ton of paper vintage results to go by. We had an we had an LCV in October, which is sort of the as of the recording of the show anyway is the the latest biggish tournament that's happened. And that was on the 11th of October, um, and that was an interesting result. Um, I'm gonna paste it in the uh, chat here so that you can look at it. It was sort of an interesting result, and these guys are all pretty good vintage players in the LCV. Um, they play play a lot of sanctioned vintage, so Tesserator ended up winning that uh, with no cons cards, but he's got five basic islands in his Tesserit control deck. So, you know, super impervious mana base, a thousand counter spells, um, you know, I'm not sure how many, I mean, two misdirection style Big Tez, so... Um, I would not be surprised to see less misdirection now with the cons cards that can't be misdirected. Yeah, that's true. You can't misdirect either of them. He's got two Notion Thieves in his sideboard, that's worth noting, as well as Massacre. I guess that's his answer to your young money, is uh, is to actually pay two Black Black. <laughs> I don't know why he's got Massacre in his sideboard. Um, uh, with the Lotus, that's not too hard. Yeah, I guess it's all right. Um, your Blue-Red Delver deck finished second. They split the top. Um and I think there were two other Pyromancer decks. One, two... There's uh, one in the top four, then another Tez in the top four. Uh, Demon Oath, Junk, Ant, Portal Mud is the top eight. Yeah, Portal... Look at that. Somebody's picking up the Coercive Portal Train as well. Uh, yeah, and then check out this awesome Dredge deck. It has no Serum Powders and runs actual Careful Study. Wow. I like it. Yeah. It's that... a, even called Powderless Dredge. <laughs> uh, and then more Young Money... Uh... And then another big Tez deck. He's calling it Planeswalker Control, but any deck with three big three Tezzeret Seekers is big Tez to me. Um, I'm definitely excited to watch. Yeah, see another what happens. So anyway, looking at you know looking at that kind of setup, um, I, I think it kind of falls in line with what I'm talking about. I don't see any bug here, but um, 
Uh, that would be the other deck I would consider sort of the deck to beat. So uh, we're also testing a little bit with like Noble Fish. I thought that that deck because it has access to like Rest in Peace, all the removal, um, a pretty good creature. I guess suite. yeah, you could probably main deck Rest in Peace would be pretty pretty nuts. Yeah, main deck main deck and Rest in Peace wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But our setup right now has a couple of Spell Snares main, um, and then the full suite of meddling Mages in the sideboard, and then Rest. In I got peace. hit with a. Uh... Oh fuck! What's it called? Uh, Mana leak out of a blue out of a blue white deck earlier this week. Yeah, Mana leak is uh, is definitely surprisingly playable. strong. I played Mana leak in 2013 Gen Con in my blue white um, rest in peace helm deck, and it was awesome. I mean, any any fetch land island and Mox is that's basically a hard counter, and uh, it was just fine. So, uh, so that's that's kind of my setup. I think I think those are the decks to beat. Um, it's going to be awesome. I don't. I don't anticipate that I'll actually play Legacy this year, so I'll probably play in the prelim on Saturday. And um, so I'll try to take good notes, and hopefully I'll have an interesting report on Eternal Weekend after I come back. So now, I will probably be trying to watch all of the matchups that are on camera just to get to see it. Yeah, cool. And we, then we, we so infrequently get to see uh, real vintage, and I mean, even online, there's so many problems. Like I said, that that's not exactly real vintage uh, watching online. Yeah, it's a little bit inbred, but. Um, and it's worth noting also, if you are going to GP New Jersey, they have set aside and they do have a scheduled vintage event, I believe. So Currently, I am uh, awaiting. I have a judge call for slow play on my boss giving me that time off, but I'm hoping to go. Okay. And then um, another thing worth noting is, and I don't even know if I should announce this, but GP Nashville, which is the week after Eternal Weekend, actually has a vintage for full trip to Gen Con event, which I'm going to drive up and fucking hopefully demolish. But um, it's a vintage event. Is that a proxy event? No, that's sanctioned vintage for an entire paid trip to Gen Con. That sounds like you might be playing in like a six-person tournament unless a lot of people hear about this. I better go ahead and delete this from the cast. Yeah, well, that's a quality expected value then because uh, uh, they're willing to pay airfare and then your ticket and then your hotel to Gen Con, which is... That's got to be close to a thousand bucks easily yeah oh at least a thousand bucks yeah if your plane tickets three four hundred bucks and it's probably more like fifteen hundred bucks and your ticket and your four-day pass so there's actually a legacy for gen con and a vintage for gen con i'm only playing in the vintage for gen con but um anyway if you're I do cons- not yeah. i do not see an announcement about that on uh it's at uh gpnash.com yeah but i'm, I'm just mean like i'm not hearing anyone talking about it so i guess uh, right now it's probably going to be super good expected value because no one knows about it yeah, perhaps, and people will sign up at the last minute, and if they don't have power with them, then hopefully I'll be able to cross them. I mean, them I, would, I would not be surprised to, <laughs> if I didn't have power on me and I found out about that event, I would have no problem playing my standard deck, just <laughs> out of pure hope. Shop, Mox, Lodestone, Go, Home, Go, try to beat me with your pack rat deck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, pack rat sees playing with occasionally. Yeah, it is, it is a control card in Vintage, so. Uh, right, let's cool. wrap this up, we're getting a little long. Yeah. Yeah, I basically had nothing to contribute, so I mean... <laughs> well, hurry up and start playing uh, Vintage, Matt. I am playing Vintage, but slowly. Well, play more. You should just well, play Notion Thief main deck, that card's just insane. St- just start staying up late, and you can stream with me, and we'll play Magic Online, and you can tell me how to play Young Pyromancer incorrectly. Alright, cool. Well, uh, thanks for showing up, everyone. Uh, yeah, it was good. good I enjoyed good it. Times. Feedback is always appreciated. Email us at everydayeternalcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast. Or follow us on Twitter at eternalmtg.